so much to do, so little time to do it. Second Timothy chapter two. Um, this is where we're gonna land here in a moment. Um, but I'm going to start Matthew chapter eight. Let's pray. Let's get started. We'll uh, join here. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for all the things that you're doing in our lives and our church. And I want to give you glory, God, for, for every single one of these things. Ask, God, that you would uh, be in us and work through us and change us and mold us, God, day by day as we come before you. Father, we thank you that you are good to us. Good morning. It's already May. Can you believe it? People graduating. Summer upon us. It's good. I read an article recently on um, a very uh, interesting topic, um, which uh, it's just got me really thinking because. It's uh, something that is very interesting to me. Um, and the guy was, uh, sorry, I remember this today. The guy was, um, was trying to answer the question. I don't think he really um, did it, at least not in, but it just got me thinking. It's very helpful. Um, uh, he was trying to ask the question of why the Jews um, were uniquely positioned to reject Jesus um, in the first coming. Um, because uh, the Old Testament so helpfully prophesied his coming in so many different ways for the to come. And um, as I was saying, and, uh, Years ago, I did um, the only series I've ever done uh, on eschatology, and um, it's amazing actually that if you follow the prophecies of the Book of Daniel and you think through them, um, that you could predict it down to the year uh, when Jesus would begin his ministry. Uh, and um, and and the the, the Pharisees uh, were very well aware of these prophecies. Like they're not they're not ignorant. Like they, you know, they're not unable. They're very well aware, um, more so than I think any of us um, probably in this room um, know the Bible. They, they knew the Bible. They, they could memorize um, the Torah and all the Shia, Shia Torah, at least. Um, and yet they were uniquely positioned to, to reject them for a few different reasons. And actually, one of them, uh, one of them is something that comes up several different times in the Gospels that, that, um, that I've dealt with a few different times. I'm going to try to um, deal with it a little bit today because I think that, I think that there's a shadow of this, uh, a manifestation of this in the church as well, which... Um, uh, in Matthew chapter 3, um, this is the ministry of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says this, starting in verse 7, but when, many, when he saw that many Pharisees and Sadducees 
coming to his baptism, he said to him, you know, I could really give you all the verses in the land of Pithy. It's here, like, in your turning. But I really want to do Matthew 8 in a moment, okay? But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping to repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Um, John the Baptist uh, has this very powerful ministry which religious leaders are coming to check out what he's been doing in the wilderness and why people are running out after him. And, um, and evidently they experience this real conviction. And John, you know, you would think that John would just welcome him to the fold and be like, oh, everybody is welcome, you know, come one, come all. Uh, but he doesn't have that attitude. Um, towards these these uh, these these guys and, and you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from? I mean, it's it's not exactly the model of of gentle, compassionate um, uh, pastoral ministry that that one expects um, uh, uh, of men of God. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. There's two things that he's dealing with in their lives. The first, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He's dealing with a, um, a, a type of repentance that is hypocritical in that it's in word only. It doesn't bear any fruit. Uh, which is useless repentance. It's, God, God doesn't have any regard for that kind of repentance. But that's not what I want to go after today, even though how fun would it be to, to talk about that. It's the second part that's really interesting to, um, to say as what Jesus is wanting to say. He says, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is really extraordinary because he's dealing with um, what uh, it's a manifestation of entitlement, but it's a spiritual entitlement that, that they had. And the entitlement was that we are special because we are children of Abraham. And God would never do anything on the face of the earth without us because we are children of Abraham. It's not earned, you see. There's not nothing uh, that, that they had done. There's no fruit out of their lives. That, but they, but they, they felt entitled to a certain position in God. And, and this is this morning. He says, do not presume to say to yourself, we are children of Abraham. Uh, it's, it's interesting because God doesn't dislike Abraham. There's nothing against Abraham. There's nothing against Abraham's lineage. This is a covenant that God made with Abraham. God is very well aware of that. It's, it's a wonderful covenant. And, and John's not saying, well, God's going to throw the Abrahamic covenant away. He's not saying that. He's saying God will give Abraham children. It's just not going to be you. But, you know, he's going to do it out of these rocks. He says, because, that, that, that it, because God doesn't like that thing inside of us that causes us to be entitled is a, uh, is a word that doesn't quite capture the full essence of it. It's not, it's, it's, there's, there's something more to it. And, and it's very easy, actually, for us Christians to, to slip into this. The problem, I think, is that God is so good and He's so gracious. Paul deals with this a little bit in Romans, but there's a more general principle. God is so good, He's so gracious, He's so merciful, that if you were to want to take advantage of God, you would theologically be able to justify it. You know? I'll give you an example. In Christianity, that's what we are, we believe that we are justified by grace. Not by works, but by grace. And that's 100% true. And you can never get away from that. 
And you should never get away from that because there's no other way. That's the, it's the only way, right? By grace through faith, not works, lest any man should boast. Paul says, okay, so this is true. True. And that's very important. And you can never get away from this. But it's very easy to accept that truth that the redemption and the salvation of God are available to you simply by believing. It's, it's very easy to take that and then begin to, um, to uh, corrupt it in such a way um, that we become entitled in God in a lot of different ways. And it's very possible that a bunch of people that are saved by grace, not by our works, but by grace, then begin to become entitled and to believe that then we have certain rights in God and that, like, you know, we can do certain things that we are, you know, oh, look at me kind of, you know, mentality, which is what the, which is what the Pharisees had. And they didn't think that it was by the blood of Jesus. They thought that it was because they were children of Abraham. But it's the same spirit. It's the same attitude that, that lies underneath it. I want to... Um, and I'm not, this is not like, I, I, I'm not uh, very interested in discussing sin. It's not like what I'd love to do, but, but it's, it's such a hindrance and such a source of blindness. Because I, I, I want to I, I um, just help us to, 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 to understand how we can relate to God in a more um, meaningful way. All right? And so John is attacking this, and oh God, I've got to be faster than I'm right now. It's like still in the preamble. We're going to get going here. Okay. So John is attacking this, right? And he's attacking their mentality that they're children of Abraham, and therefore, you know, that therefore, you know, I'm just, why do I have to? Why do I have to be humble? What? Like, and, and he's attacking this, and he's saying, like, that's useless, y'all. Like, God's able to make children of Abraham out of these rocks. Isn't that amazing? Jesus in, in, in Matthew chapter 8 follows up on this, and he's talking about the faith of the centurion. The centurion is not a Jew, right? And, and Jesus is stunned by his faith. And, um, and so Matthew 8, verse 11, he says, I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, and in that place they'll be weeping and gnashing their teeth. Um, First of all, we should all be grateful for this verse because many will come from the east and west. That's us. I mean, unless any of you are ethnically Jews, uh, which you may be, um, as you know, I don't know. But unless any of you are, eth- are, are Jews by descent, um, that's you. <laughs> so, so, hallelujah. Um, but what's shocking is that Jesus was sent to the house of Israel, and yet he found faith that he valued in the... In the, in the um, in the, in the spirit of the centurion who's not of the house of Israel at all. And the, the Bible says that Jesus looked at me and said, I haven't found faith like this in all of Israel. And, and, then, and then it goes on to say, you think that you guys, like the sons of the kingdom, you think that you guys will be at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? No. It's, it's, it's these people that come from each one. He's using this as an example. Because of his extraordinary faith, he's going to be brought into a place of intimacy with God in community, in, in, as a part of the community of God that you don't get just because like, you weren't born in the right family. It doesn't matter. God doesn't care. You know? And it's not, we don't have the, we don't have the, 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 the entitlement of descent, of, of, of descent the way that the Jews do, obviously, because we're not, we don't, we don't we're, we're not privy to that. But, but we have very similar, like, oh, you know, kind of attitudes that is, that makes it very difficult for, for us to grow in relationship with God. There are, honestly, Friends, not that many reasons why people stall in their in their walk with God. And, and if you can sort of tackle them and get them out of your life, then you can really move 
Lord in him. Second Timothy chapter two. Um, Paul says this to Timothy, and this is probably Paul, the last letter that Paul wrote. And Paul treated Timothy as a son. So, and and I love First and Second Timothy, especially Second Timothy, because in Second Timothy, Paul pours out some of the most heartfelt, intimate, and sincere and important secrets of of his life. Second Timothy chapter two, he says, this, "Remind them of these things, starting verse fourteen, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers." God does not want you to waste your time on things that don't do any good to anybody. Uh, some people get really nervous when we start talking about practical things in Christianity. We, we like to think that Christianity begins and ends with the name that I call upon and the person that I believe, like, you know, the label that we label ourselves as. But First and Second Timothy, uh, uh, in particular, all of Paul's letters, but some of his letters are more about like what you believe, but First and Second Timothy in particular, Paul's not trying to convince Timothy to believe anything. He's trying to tell Timothy how to live and what to do. To be, to be a good son in, in the Spirit. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good. They're only ruins of years. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Do your best. Sounds like striving, does it not? You know how much we love striving. All right, we love striving. Do your best, is what the Bible says. Don't sit back and like presume that you're something awesome. Do your best. Do your best. Every single day. To do what? To present yourself to God as one approved. And how do you become approved? A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Why? Rightfully handling the word of truth. So interesting. Paul is... Uh, all the apostles talk about this. In, in every, every writer of the New Testament talk, talks about this. But Paul, uh, in 2 Timothy, is, um, uh, uh, presents his concern of this, that, that the word of, of, of truth, which of course is the Bible, but also just truth more broadly, I would say, but certainly is the Bible, that it be rightly handled. That, that, that we, as, as servants of the Lord, would humble ourselves under the truth of God. And therefore, present ourselves approved before God to do the work that He's called us to do. You know what that means? That means that not every worker is approved. Um, have you ever, you probably haven't ever served in the military. If you have, I guess, I mean, it's okay. If you've ever worked for the CIA, which you haven't, <laughs> or, 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 or any position where you're not just doing a job, but you, but you have to enter into a situation of trust in order to do that job, um, the, the first thing that you'd have to do is you have to be clear to hand the classified information, depending on what kind of job you're doing. Military, paramilitary, you know, um, intelligence services, all those kinds of things. You have to be clear to handle classified information, correct? And then you have to be trained to handle classified information. Handle it in a certain way, write in a certain way, destroy it in a certain way, encrypt it in a certain way, use it in a certain way. Like, all that stuff, right? And then you have to be given a security clearance. And if you're not given a security clearance, can you do the job? Can't do the job, correct? And you can be the best looking, you can be the most talented, you can be the most, you know, you know, you're somebody's son, you know, some senator referred you, and it doesn't really matter because the fact is that you're not approved to do that job until you are equipped to handle the responsibilities that go with that job. You know? And you can show up to work, but if you're not approved to do the job, you can't do the job. And that's, what, that's kind of the, the um, metaphorically, anyway, the paradigm that Paul is asking Timothy to step into. Like, you may be called to do the work of God. You may, there may be a calling of ministry upon your life or a calling to this or that or the other. But unless you 
been approved to do the work, you're not particularly useful to God. And so Paul says to him, do your best to present yourself to God approved to do the work that, that, that he wants for you to do. And it's not, you should not presume that you are. You should, like, I mean, Timothy is very useful to Paul. Like, you know, Paul, in fact, says, I have no one like him. Like, you know, Timothy. And yet, he says to Timothy, Timothy, do not ever get boastful about this. Do not always recognize that we work hard to, to present ourselves to God today. Say, God, I am ready. Please use me. And, and to present yourself to God in such a way that God looks at you and says, yes, you're good to go. Like, you know, here's the mission for the day, or here's what you're doing for the next five years, or, you know, this is what I'm having you step into right now. But that's not something we should assume. We don't take this as, well, we're sons of Abraham. Like, I am a believer. Like, it does not work like that. Like, I am a prophet. Well, it doesn't work like that. You know? And that attitude, dear God, that attitude will just, ugh. How do you do this? But ir- a, rightly handle the word of truth. Like, take the truth of God and elevate it above all the things that you and I like to think and believe and imagine and, you know, philosophize and opine, like, you know, just elevate the things that you know to be true. Oh, it's actually really hard. It's really hard because what we like to do is we like to use the Bible and justify ourselves. We like to conform the Word of God to the things that we believe and the things that we want to be true. Um, and, and if you do that, then you become disqualified to be the of God. Hypocrisy is not failing to live up to the things that we claim to be true. That's just Christianity. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is saying that, that these things, there's, there's many different iterations of hypocrisy, but the, but the examples are, you know, this applies to me, it doesn't apply to me. Like, you know, there's, there's different, but it's not saying, you know, for instance, uh, we should not be greedy, but then having some selfishness in you. But, but then saying, listen, you know, we're not greedy, and I, I'm greedy too, but, you know, God doesn't want anything. That's not hypocrisy. But, like, that's what Paul asks you to do. It's like submitting yourself to the things that God has established to be over us, right? Okay. And this allows you to be approved, approved, approved. I want to be approved. I don't know if anybody else. I want to be approved. A worker that has no need to be ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed. I want to be approved. Okay. But avoid irreverent babble. <clears throat> For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. If Paul's talking about this, um, this situation that, that I dealt with when I was a teenager, I talked to some of you about it, so I know that you did too. Do you remember when you were a teenager and you thought every time your parents left the house that the rapture had happened and you were left behind? You don't remember that. That's just me. So, okay, so there was a period. It was like when I was reading Left Behind as a teenager. Yeah, I know. I got arrested. I got arrested this time. But so, I was reading Left Behind and it was a teenager. And, uh, and and every time my parents would leave the house, I'd be like, oh my God. Like, you know, like if I woke up like, you know, late on Saturday morning and like they went out taking my sister to ballet class or whatever, you know. And I'd be like, oh my God, the rapture just happened. Go downstairs and there's nobody there. And then I rushed to the garage and see if the car was there. The garage, the car was gone. I'd be like, oh God, oh my God, you know. Maybe they got raptured on the road somewhere, but you know, but, um, but at least the car is gone. Hylianus and, and Philetus um, and, and others were, were dealing with this in the church, and they were saying the resurrection has already happened, y'all. There's not any more resurrection. And, and Paul says, but, but stand firm, but, 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 but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. It says the Lord knows those who are his. And, and in dealing with this false rumor that the resurrection has already occurred and everybody that was left was kind of left out and left behind, 
Paul says, but, but that's not true. Okay? Because the Lord knows who it is. In other words, that if you belong to God, God knows it, and you can't miss out on it. And what Paul's dealing with is these rumors swirling around the church causing fear and, and insecurity and anxiety in the hearts of people that rightly belong to God. But because of the way the rumors are swirling, they begin to doubt that they belong to God. And Paul says, listen, the Lord knows those who are his. Right? Okay. All right. Keep going. 20. Now, he begins to pivot in this way that's really useful. There's now in a great house. They're not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay. And some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Okay. This is awesome. 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 I don't need you to say awesome, but just believe. It is awesome. Okay. Paul says, in a great house there are vessels of gold and silver, also wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. There are brushes that you use to brush your teeth, there are brushes you use to brush your toilet. Yeah? And God has created both. But it is our desire, I hope, to be the, you know, the toothbrush, not the toilet brush. I hope. And the pathway to being that is not acquiring spiritual gifts, positions, titles, rights, privileges of any sort. But Paul says this. He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Well, the blood of Jesus cleanses me, brother. Yet, that's not what Paul says in this passage. I understand that the blood of Jesus washes you from the guilt of your sins and from the, the, the consequences there. I, I, like, I understand that, like, that you stand justified because of the blood of Jesus, but that's not what Paul is dealing with in this passage. He's not telling you to repent of your sins and therefore you'll be used for honorable things. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying cleanse yourself, and you can't cleanse yourself with the blood of Jesus. That's something that God does for us. Do you understand? He's not talking about that. Like, is that true? 100% true. That's just not what he's talking about here. He says here that if you want to be used for honorable things, all quiet. This is just me. Like, I mean, if you want to be used for honorable things, what do you need to do? Cleanse yourself from everything that is dishonorable. That, that's something that you do to yourself. You cleanse yourself from everything that is dishonorable. You set yourself apart as holy, and then the master of the house will be useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. That's what I want. I want to be ready for every good work. I want to be ready for good work. There are some people that want to walk in every spiritual gift. I want to walk in every good work. Like, I want to go to heaven, right? And, like, have experienced every form of good work, like, on the earth. And, like, not anywhere close to that. <laughs> it's still, like, very much working. But I want to cleanse lepers. Haven't done it. I want to raise the dead. Haven't done it. I want to cast out demons. You know, haven't done some of that. You know, I don't want to, like, heal the sick. Like, I, I, I want to, like, you know, help orphans and, you know, help widows and tend to the old and, and infirm and, and build ministries and schools and, or, like, I, I want to do it all. Like, I, like, I want to experience every good work. And, and actually, you have the opportunity to do that. If you set yourself apart and if you cleanse yourself in such a way that you become useful to God, 
Being useful to God is a choice that you and I make. It's nothing to do with where you were born, what gifts you have, what ministry you serve under, or who anointed you, or who baptized you, or whose bed you slept in. It's not nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with, it doesn't have to do with your last name, what your last name is. It has to do with choices that you make to cleanse yourself. So when God is looking around, say, who am I going to use? He says, you. You're, I'm going to use you. Why? Not because your gift is to keep it clean. And ready to be used by him. And the sign that you are not clean is that you are not used by him. In Matthew chapter 17, which I'm not going to go to, but I just want to point you to the story because I love this story. Peter is walking around Jerusalem. They confront him. They say, um, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Do you remember this story? You don't remember this story. I love this story. And then Peter goes to Jesus, and he says, I care. He says, oh, I can know. And so he, goes, so he goes to Jesus and says, and before he walks in the door, Jesus says, um, Peter, who do the, um, uh, the men of the earth, who do they charge tax to? To their sons or to others? And, and there's a very important principle that Aaron has to talk about now at some other time, but I love, I love, I love the question. And Peter says, well, to others, I assume. And Jesus says, that's right. And yet not to give them offense, you know, and uh, when you go out to the dock, take the first fish you see. Do you remember that? Open it down, it's going to be a coin. And then give it to them to be used in Okay, so there's so many teaching moments in this story. But here's one that I want to ask you about today. Listen to this. Judas is the money keeper for the ministry. Hello? There's only one story in the Bible where Jesus needed money. And Jesus did not go to Jesus for it. money out of the mouth of a fish rather than to go ask Jesus for a coin. Your position may seem impressive to others but does not entitle you to be used by God. And when you have gifting and powers and abilities and then you are God walks around you to accomplish his purposes, you should realize if he chooses to not use you is you're not ready to be used for honorable purposes. That's scary. Because we like to parade around and talk about what great gifts we have. And you could be specifically gifted and anointed to do something, and God can just walk right around you because He doesn't want to use you, even though He put you in that position. Did you know that Saul was a great warrior? And yet, when Goliath confronted the army of Israel, it was not Saul that killed him. But and Saul was not incapable. He was a very great warrior, very capable. He was head and shoulders above everybody. He was taller, stronger, more handsome, more intelligent, more capable as a military leader. I mean, he was capable. You should, I mean, it, 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 things got, but if you look at the, what the Bible says about his, his conquest, I mean, he was a conqueror. He was a fantastic warrior. And yet, Goliath comes, and God did not use Saul to bring deliverance to the people of Israel. He used David. Why? Because David had set his heart apart, ready, and as Paul says, the word that Paul uses in Second Timothy chapter two, useful to the master of the house for every good work. 
actually going to be useful. I, I want to make sure that when, when God, there's something that God needs doing that he thinks of me, I, I want to be the tool that, like, even though it's not quite the right tool, sometimes, um, you know um, how, like, in the last 10 years, all these credit companies have started issuing these metal credit cards? Okay, so you think they're cool. Now I think they're just heavy and annoying. <laughs> but, but I realized a while ago that I needed to, like, undo a screw, right? And, uh, and I didn't have a screwdriver with me, so I was like, I just took my credit card out of my pocket and try to find the thickest one and, you know, cram it in. And it worked, so, you know, it was wonderful. But I want to be, be so close and so useful to God that even if I'm not the right tool, that He still chooses to use me because I need to him. And you can be the exact opposite. You can be a tool that is perfectly crafted for the job and then he walks around you because he doesn't want to use you. He chooses intentionally to not use you. And that's really sad. It's really sad to me that there's one money keeper in the entire camp and Jesus refuses to ask him for money or to ask Peter to ask him for money. He doesn't want to use Peter's gift. You know, it's right there. We, we get so upset sometimes when God uses us when he gives us money and encourages us to give it away, when he gives us skills and, and he allows us to, to use it well for him, they're like, oh, God, I just gave until 2 a.m. You know, doing this for you. God, I'm so abused. You know, like, trial uh, labor. Like, you know, like, this is a violation of my union right. Like, you, you know, like, are you insane? Like, are you, like, are you insane? Being used by God is, is a, the fact that God would bother to invite you to be used by anything at all, and you're like, oh my, where are my rights? Where's my overtime pay? Like, I'm just shockingly entitled. And and that kind of mentality, God's like, oh, fine, I won't use you then. I, I mean, I, 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 you have no idea what that kind of thinking brings. Like, uh, I mean, do you want your rights, or do you want to be used by God? I just love it when God works into the ground, which is not that often where he just calls you, and then he's just and then just like that's how that works where you go around and uh, anyways like it's, it's hard that's harder um, but but I just I enjoy it when I have to stay up late and I have to wake up early because oh to be useful to God you know oh to be useful in doing something that uh, that is that, that serves anyone that, that furthers the kingdom at all that, that makes any impact whatsoever on anybody at all God that's a blessing that's not a burden that's a blessing but when you just sit around and you think, like, everybody else gets weekends, I don't get any weekends. <laughs> you know, they serve pizza for the third week in a row at retreat. How could they? I'm a vegetarian. Like, I mean, it's just... Uh, it, I'm a son of Abraham. How, God never do anything without me. It, it, it's an attitude that will keep you from being used by God. David Lancaster, you know, Amy's husband, you guys know him, he's, he's, he's a cool guy. That he was once one day he was reading the book of Job a few years ago. I think like he shared this to me when this just happened. One day he was reading the book of Job, you know, where at the beginning of Job chapter one, the the, the sons of God come before the Lord and and, um, and God says to Satan, I, I love this story. I can't tell you how much I love this story. So God says to Satan, God says, Have you seen my servant Job? I mean, like <laughs> the devil was not thinking of thinking on Job. And he didn't have Job in his mind. There were other things on his mind. And God just says, Hey, have you seen my servant Job? I mean, 
And then, of course, like a, a world of pain, like, you know, it rained upon Job because God decided to point out Job to the devil, and the devil wasn't thinking about Job. The devil and other things on the mind. I can't, and, and so David was reading this one day, and, and, and he says, and, and God says to him as he's reading this, God says to him, why would I ever think of you? Not as like a mean question, but just as something for you to think about. Why would I think of you if I want to do something on the earth? It's not a mean question. It's just a real question. The sort of question that people who are not entitled ask themselves. God, if you were to do something on the earth, why would you want me to do it? God, if you needed someone to move a load of cow manure from this farm to that farm, why would you think of me to do it? God, if you needed someone to, to heal a crippled woman or to, to free a, a, a demon-possessed man, like, why would you need me to do it? it? It's the sort of question that 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 you need to ask yourself. Because if you don't ask yourself, what happens is you go through life, you think that you've been rejected by God, and you haven't. You just have not changed yourself in such a way to be useful to people. And that's a real thing. Being useful is not... I, 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 uh, people that, that believe that they're just rejected, so that's why they're not used, is just you're silly, man. You're, you're, you're silly. Like, there's no such thing as a sharp knife that I will not cut with. Like, you're, you're in my kitchen jar, and you're sharp, we will cut with you. Like, the knife that is ignored is the one that's not sharp. Like, it's just, it's just that simple. Like, it, you know, the bowl that is never touched is the one that's the wrong shape. You know, like, it's not, it, it's everything that is useful in the house of God gets used. Just like everything that's useful in your house gets used. There's nothing that you you don't you don't discriminate among screwdrivers, do you? You know, I love you, I hate you, so I, I'm I'm never using. I mean, it just doesn't work like that. If it's useful, you use it. And it's the same with the servants of the Lord and with everyone in His house. It's not God is not discriminatory. If you're useful to Him, He uses you. And it is important to care about this enough that you choose to make yourself useful to Him. All right. Okay. What makes one useful to God, as Paul says, is very simple. Be kind and then be useful. Set your part, self apart as holy. Do not mix with the world. Do not take the word of God and then like stomp, stomp on it, like put it under your feet, just so you can justify this and that and this opinion and that thing and the other thing in your life. Don't do that. Elevate God and continue to elevate Him. And elevate Him more and more and more and just elevate Him, you know, and humble yourself under Him and find ways for you to be useful to God. Find ways for you to be useful to God. Take up trash, you know, that you see around you. I, I, when I was younger, and, and I um, uh, used to do this a lot more often, do you know it's weird? There was this season in my life where I saw trash on the ground all the time, and it hasn't happened to me in years now. I mean, I almost never see trash on the ground. It's weird. Because, and I just trained myself. Like, in the middle of, I think this was when I was in, uh, in Boston as a student, I, I just trained myself to, like, to pick things up off the ground that were nasty. Like, used you know, beer cans and just, like, like, with one and a half fingers, you know, it's like, don't, don't really touch it. Just, like, with one and a half fingers, like, just carry it over to the nearest trash can. Because in that point in my life, I was not being used for very much. And, and I did this with some very practical things in order to be used by God. And so, and, and, uh, Cheyenne taught something about, you know, if you steward the earth, then you'll inherit it. And I was like, steward the earth? 
you know, I, 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 you know, I mean, I didn't like use bubble gum or things like that. I think I may have a few times taken a napkin, <laughs> but, 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 like, I mean, beer cans and bottles and garbage and that stuff is easy. You just, you know, Newberry Street and, and I, mean, I tell you all the different places on campus and just, you know, just the nearest trash can. <laughs> this is before COVID, so hand sanitizer was not widely available. Uh, you find a place to wash it. Oh my God, get that thing off of me before I go eat. But you just do these things because you desire to be used. And, and over time, what happens is that these things begin to begin to shape you. I've really I've learned a lot from Che about this because he talks about like very practical things that he does in life to just try to be faithful to God in all the small things. And when he talks about how like when he's in the um, in the airplane, he's using the bathroom, and it's like he'll just try to make sure that he cleans it, you know, so that it's cleaner after he left than when he goes in there. If you spend a lot of time on airplanes, you know how nasty it is. Airplane bathrooms, man, they is nasty. They is nasty. But making choices like this makes you more approved and more useful to God. And as you become more useful to God, you become more used by Him. And if you remain useful to Him over the course of your life, then you can end this life having participated in every good work. And that's what I want for myself. And that's what I hope you would want for yourself. To go to heaven, to stand before God one day, not having missed out on a single type of, of good work that you could have done on your own. Oh, it's awesome. But then we have people that are like, well, you know, I know how to play guitar. Why don't you put me in the band? You just do this to God. You know, uh, I'm a prophet. You know, nobody gets a word except me. Like, shut up and sit down. God's a prophet out of a rock. You know, like, it, it's that attitude. It just keeps you from... From, from walking in what God desires for you guys to walk in. And we don't want anything like this. I want to be the, the, the centurion. I want to be the guy that had no right to be a son of Abraham. But Jesus looked at everybody and he said, I have faith in all of Israel, in all the people that are supposed to have faith. I have not faith like this. I have not faith like this. Look, y'all, we live in the wrong place to experience miracles. We live in the wrong culture, at the wrong time, with the wrong mindset, with the wrong amount of education, with the wrong amount of money to be first line for the kingdom. The people that find the kingdom most easily are the poor, the broken, the needy, the desperate. Like, I mean, in that, that ain't us. Most of us are born in good families, good faith, with enough income. I mean, you know, it's just that. And some of us are not even underrepresented minorities. Like, we don't have, even have that. We just have, like, nothing, you know? Like, nothing. We don't even have we're nothing to, like, to, to, to make ourselves more likely to be used by God. You know, those of you that are white, I feel really bad for you. It's just very difficult for you. I, I, you know, I thought I had it better, then I realized Asians are not an underrepresented minority, and so they don't have it much better. We have to work especially hard. We have to work especially hard. But if we're willing to humble ourselves, then we can become useful to Him. Rather than looking at all the things that this church does and go, why do we do this? Why do we do that? That's never the attitude. You, you, if you want to be used by God, you can't ever take that attitude. You can't say, well, that person doesn't really use me. Why should I send them money? Like, just, 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 just calm yourself down for a moment. Like, that's not the right attitude, you know? God presents a need to you. He gives you an opportunity to be useful to him. Say yes. Okay? You know, or be the toilet brush. You know, say yes. You know, uh, unless you want to be the toilet brush. <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? Like, so... I'm really excited when God gives us opportunities to do things that have nothing to do with our core ministry or the core people that God is. Because do you know what that means? That means that God's thinking of us. 
And there are things that he could do to literally anyone for it. And he chooses to invite you to do it. You know? That's awesome. And so when someone invites you to sing on the car, don't be like, I don't want to sing on the car. They could have asked, Cindy could have asked anybody in the church, but she asked you. You know? When somebody asks you to rent a, a giant asks you to rent a U-Haul, it's not your fault. She could have asked anybody in the church, and you're not even a particularly good driver. She could have asked you. Like, like, you are the screwdriver that God is picking up today. Don't be like, I'm not articulate. I'm not very good. Just, I would love to see you do what God is saying. Because that's how over the course of life you find yourself being involved in every good work, every form of miracle, every type of breakthrough, every move, every revival, every narrative, every story. Like, and, and God, that's what I want. I want to be involved in all of it. I don't want to sit back and criticize. I don't want to sit back and watch the YouTube videos. I'm going to be in the room where it happens. Stand up. That's it. That's it. Stand. We're going to pray. I got to go. All right. Who's leading? Who's leading worship? We got to get back up here. We're like losing this. Oh, Jesus, help us. Father, thank you for, for you. Thank you for what you're doing in us. And Father, we pray that you would help us to present ourselves to you as workers approved for every good work. As workers who are approved every single good work. God. Because that was what we desire to be. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you that we don't have to try to figure out this life for ourselves. Father, I thank you that we don't have to walk around aimlessly. Father, I thank you that there's more to this life than just buying a house or buying more physically. More to this house, this life, God, than houses and cars and friends and drinking and vacation. It's more. And God, I just pray that you would take this church and that we would heed the advice that Paul gave to Timothy and that we would cleanse ourselves and set ourselves apart so that whenever there is anything good to be done on this earth, that you would send people up. That whenever there is a campus to be reached, whenever there is a company to be infiltrated, whenever there is a, a community to be reached, whenever there is people to be helped, people to be invested in, people to be, programs to be funded, evangelism to be conducted, miracles to be worked, prophecies to be given. I just pray, God, that you think of the people here in this family. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would set us down that road where we become so useful to us, O oh God. It's like that credit card that we don't leave the house without, you know. I pray, God, that we become so useful to you, so multi-purpose, so, so, so adaptable to every good purpose. So ready for all of that. Because you always find an opportunity to do something. And God, for everybody in this room that desires to Father, I just pray in these next few moments that you would help us to humble ourselves.